Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry, and with me, I am delighted to say, is a very noted journalist, broadcaster, TV presenter, karaoke singer, you name it, he does it. Uh, Mr. Graham Hunter, great friend, of course, here at TWP. And we are going to be talking all things La Liga and what we can expect this January with regards to movement in and out of one of Europe's major leagues. Welcome to the podcast again, Graham. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Happy to be here. Very good, very good. How is the rain in Spain? Is it now not on the plane? Now, after a horrendous experience filming up in San Sebastian where it was like Port Glasgow on a a bad November Tuesday, horizontal (laughs) wind and rain. Um, Looking out the window today, Catalonia is sunny. Um, the aspect is sunny for the teams because the majority of Spain's teams are on the rise in terms of how they began this season, either financially or in playing terms. So the aspect is sunny. Excellent. Uh, speaking of sunny, um, Barcelona's uh, sort of travise of the last few uh, months uh, seem to have taken a, certainly an upturn in the appointment of Xavi Hernandez, of course, the club legend, as the head coach. Um, what's been the initial uh, impressions of his tenure at Camp Nou uh, with regards to the way the team are playing, progressing, and what we can expect for the rest of the season? I think he's he's had the the type of good fortune that sometimes blessed ones in football get. There are variants on the Gary player, Jackie Stewart, the harder I work, the luckier I get. There are variants on that because sometimes there are people for whom the cards seem to drop almost all the time. Now, Javi is a hard worker. He is obsessive to the degree that, say, Guardiola is. Um, they're very different men in terms of how they want to run a squad. They're they're quite different in their manner, but they're almost identical in their football beliefs and in how obsessively hard they want to work in order to achieve not just success, but to achieve um, a, a dynamism within their squad whereby the concepts are completely clear, whereby the ball is your friend, not your enemy, matches can be can be dominated. This is the Xavi that Barcelona was signing. Um, his opening game against Espanyol, for those who didn't see it, was a 1-0 win from a penalty that was a little bit questionable um, in a game that for two-thirds of it they played pretty well and, and deserved to win if you can stop a game early. By the end, they were out on their feet. The brand of football that Xavi was asking them to to play was too much for a squad where the training sessions have been training light for many months. And Espanol really could have equalised or won, hit the woodwork a couple of times, missed an absolute sitter. The Benfica game in the Champions League was an improvement in terms of Barcelona's um, ability to play for long periods in the game. They'd already 
grasped the concept. They'd dominated a, a team that beat them 3-0 in Lisbon. Didn't make masses of ultra-clear openings, but did make lots of goal chances, penalty box chances. Then could have lost it at the end very clearly when Seferovic, for the second game in a row, Barcelona saw a strike on the opposition team, missed an absolute sitter. And then by the time they beat Villarreal 3-1, and I know that <clears throat> you're asking this with a view to which players might leave, which players, which type of player do they need? By the time they beat Villarreal, the transformation was extraordinary in that it was Barcelona having had a wobble in the middle of the second half when Villarreal not only scored, but looked as if they would go on to win the game. Barcelona roared away in the last 15 minutes of the game with absolutely renewed energy, scored twice, different level of belief, an entertaining playing style. You you can't, as Rav Rangnick has been saying almost contemporaneously with you and I chatting this morning, mid-season, it's impossible to change everything. There needs to be really clear focus on the balance between things that, that absolutely need to be updated or changed or scrapped and, and what what is feasible to achieve. Because if you if you have a charge at everything in a team when you've taken over mid-season, and we're not just talking about Barcelona here, any any team where you run around like a, a bull in a sand shop trying to fix everything at once in mid-season, the, the, the flood of games, the, the need to be ready just about every three days will overtake you and disaster will ensue. So I, I expect to see far greater progress made during the summer and by next autumn when we're beginning to watch this first full season in charge. In the meantime, between now and May, I think it's guaranteed, one, that if you tune in to watch Football Club Barcelona on television or if you choose to fly over to camp now for a weekend game, you're going to see a better brand of football, a, a, a more exciting brand of football. And you're going to see several of the players individually coached to improve in their decision-making and their, when they release the ball. And, um, Ian, I'll, I'll close by saying one of the one of the big messages he's given in his press conferences, um, of which now there's been several because it's pre and post and then preview again, he, he wants his players to be more daring. He wants them to take what, what he would call acceptable risks with the ball. And his point of view is that while Barcelona are suffering for a goal conversion, and they are, and will do until Ansu is properly fit. The the final passes need to be more daring. He interrupted a rondo in training before the Villarreal game when the, the, the passing move had broken down and the pressers in the middle had, had intercepted the ball. And there was a good deal of finger pointing between the, the, the players in the circle about whose fault it had been. Tavi stopped them and said, look, football is a game of mistakes. It's about why you've made the mistake. In, in terms of this... Rondo and the midfield have your have your vision when the ball comes to you know what you're going to do with it do it well but up up front it's not about not making mistakes in the final third it's about accepting risk and accepting that some of that risk will, will rebound against you and being ready to pick up the pieces again so that's the environment that we're we're getting and we've got a beautiful game this weekend this record goes out before Barca play Betis at camp now and that with Pellegrini in charge of a, an attacking dangerous squad to I think lie fifth at the moment there's another beauty of a game in hand A lot has been made and it is of course well documented Graham that the um, effects of course of 
financial uh, mismanagement at Barcelona, as well as uh, pandemic, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, some very frivolous and failed, it has to be said, purchases in the wake of Neymar's departure, and of course Messi's departure to PSG also have affected the squad badly. Um, how much? can Xavi actually do with regards to practically changing things in January? Or is he going to be very restricted and, as you say, have to work on what he's got at his his disposal rather than uh, bring in or indeed wave Suti's magic wand and uh, turn Barcelona into title contenders all of a sudden? You're right to say that there are severe constrictions and the answer can be constructed properly. Matteo Aleman is the, is the CEO, um, but he has a, a distinct hand in the football development too. So at the moment, to say that there's an outright director of football w- would be wrong, but there's a, a conglomeration of efforts between, say, Jordi Cruyff and Matteo Aleman, Ramon Plan has recently left the, left the club, uh, really uh, partly at Xavi's behest and partly because Plan is knew that he and the coach don't see eye to eye about, about football development. They just have different philosophies. And therefore, what's, um, what's happening is that Matteo Aleman said, at the moment, we cannot sign in the winter market. That's partly to do with available money. That's partly to do with the really strict restrictions that financial fair play within La Liga impose on Football Club Barcelona. It was several days after Xavi was um, appointed that Barcelona were able to register him in order to to make sure that his, his salary could be an acceptable part of the wage bill as far as La Liga were concerned. So that... Even before that's the micro of the situation, Ian. Before you go to the macro of 1.4 billion debt and how to manage it, um, how to eat into it. So the the, the truth of the matter is that either um, Coutinho is sold or potentially Umtiti is sold. Neither of whom want to leave. Or I have to speak very very carefully here. There is a feasibility given what happened to Kun Aguero, um, who, who suffered from heart arrhythmia and first of all went to hospital and you know, unable to breathe during a match, secondly was diagnosed with this. And there have been serious concerns about whether he is going to either be able to continue playing, a la Christian Eriksen, or whether he will wish to continue. That's an incognito at the moment but in pure business hypothetical terms if he were to announce that he wished to retire before the window opened there's a salary and a significant salary at that suddenly off bus on his books and signing or loaning would become more of a possibility and on that last point again I'll close Barcelona's idea, while they've been sniffing around Raheem Sterling, is partly because they know that Raheem has had, I mean, a genuine, uh, not it's beyond fascination, uh, almost obsession about playing in La Liga for many years now. He grew up watching Revista. Something about what he saw utterly captured his attention. It's been a long-standing idea that part of his career 
would be spent in La Liga. There is no question whatsoever that, like Gareth Bale, his preferred destination, the club that made him dream, was Real Madrid. And Barcelona have known about the fascination with Spain. They've seen that from the Euros onwards, Raheem Sterling was playing less. And therefore, it made total sense to, to look and see whether there might be a loan deal to be arranged during which um, the progress of Ferran Torres has come under examination. It's absolutely clear that in terms of his wage as compared to Sterling, his age, his nationality, the idea about attempting to try and take Ferran Torres on loan with a with a, an obligatory purchase at the end of the season is something that has become a priority for them. To my mind, it, it, it makes sense. Um, there are a number of reasons it makes sense, but I'm also a really big Ferran Torres fan. I think that his strike level at international rate indicates that when he's part of a system where he's completely at ease with how the team plays, when he's part of a system that presses high, which Luis Enrique for Spain loves to do, he's a very high level goal scorer and with massive development still to come. It, it, therefore, I think he's the, the priority item for Barcelona to try and persuade City to do some kind of deal on. But how they do that is extraordinarily difficult. And I think you began by asking me to what extent does Xavi have any room to to move in the winter market. And I think that room is extremely limited. And one of the horror options, which I know you're going to ask me about, is is the fact that Chelsea very, very patently think that Gabby is somebody that they need, that they can buy for 50 million, because at the moment that's his um, buyout clause. And it would seem to me to be disastrous if anybody at the camp now said, well, we have to speculate to accumulate. <laughs> we'll take 50 million for this 18-year-old um, kid and we'll, we'll move on. In my view, that would be utterly disastrous. At the moment, they're trying to renegotiate Gabby's contract with his agent, Ivan de la Peña, just as they renegotiated the contract with Pedri and Ansu. Each of them have a billion euro buyout clause now. And it will be Barcelona's intent, intention to do the same with Gavi and the same with Nico, um, who's another extraordinary footballer. But as we sit here, and I know what you like to do in the window podcast is to is, is just beyond have the strands of hard information and break news about deals is to analyse and analytically these are the choices that, that, that Barcelona face at the moment either they, they move out one of the players that is on huge salaries that they genuinely want to move out which at the moment they're, they're, they have proven over three transfer markets completely unable to do or they beg, steal and borrow and negotiate without selling or worst case, somebody comes in and convinces one of their kids that it's time to leave Barcelona and the future's better elsewhere. It is, Graham, an, an unusual and almost extraordinary situation um, that Barcelona find themselves in where by they are um, prey to the vultures uh, circling over Camp Nou and willing to pick up and take away uh, their best talent uh, before even... Uh, develops into uh, the kind of player that we expect and uh, know that they can become. Um, usually it's the other way around, whereby, as we've seen before, Neymar uh, has his buyout clause um, 
executed, or in Messi's case, it was a financial necessity almost that he had to leave because of the um, financial fair play uh, implications of him staying at FC Barcelona with regards to ongoing contract and the payments that he was receiving. Now, I guess the question is really, um, what shape is La Masia in to produce the kind of player that Xavi Hernandez needs and indeed that he himself was a very successful product of in order to turn Barcelona back into the team that we all know and see as one of the European powerhouse clubs who will compete on all levels. Well, look, let's be clear. Um, there's a, so for anybody who's listening to the window podcast that doesn't catch up with the league in between the times that, that we speak, we're talking about uh, Nico, who's the son of Fran, who was at Super Depor, where they won the title, where they went to the Champions League semi-final and were beaten unjustly by Mourinho's Porto. In the semi-final, Fran was the, the number 10 player. He could play wide. who padded about the pitch, making lovely contributions in the, in the killer area of the pitch. Nico's his boy. Loved that too. Yeah, they they were. Andrade was one of your big favourites. But right across the, you know, if you you know one of their one of their alumni is at Rangers now. Uh, Mackay has gone with um, Roy Mackay has gone with Giovanni Broncos to be assistant coach. Diego Tristan was in that. Mm. Mara Silva. It, it was an extraordinary team. The current um, president, uh, director of football for the football association, Molina, the keeper, um, was one of the key mainstays there too. But. Fran was the the playmaker. Fran was exceptional, and Nico is too. Nico is double the size of his father, but very mobile, extremely good at intercepting and using the ball. He's he's got a, a gigantic personality. Uh, Gavi is another little phenomenon. He comes from a tiny little village. Um, well, a tiny little village is too strong. A 35,000 um, poblacion, as we call it here in Spain, down in Andalusia. Um, let's call it maybe about 45 minutes or an hour outside Seville. And it's the same uh, small community from which both Jesus Navas and Fabian Ruiz, who's a star at Napoli and has been in the Spain national team, um, and was at Betis. Uh, Gavi comes from that same community. And all right, there's a, there's a gap of if Jesus um, Navas is 35 now and Gavi is 18, there's a gap of 17 years, but it's still for a small place to produce three such extraordinary footballers, um, all of whom are Spain international, one of whom's a, a World Cup winner with Spain. It, it's remarkable. And Gavi is off the scale. I, I would trust that the educated audience you've got at this podcast probably watched the Nations League and watched um, Gavi playing completely extraordinarily against Italy and well against France, being picked again for the crucial matches in, in Greece and against Sweden, via which Spain made it direct to the Qatar World Cup rather than having to go through the playoffs at 18. And, you know, he was, he was 17 until August. He's played... Again, genuinely extraordinarily in La Liga and the Champions League. And this is my answer to how is the academy, how is La Masia? If you throw in Ansu Fati came through that and you now look at Abde and Ilias, two wide players who've come through um, 
who've been purchased young but have had time in the in the academy in the B team. They played they played wide. Um, each of them made their debut under Chavi. Um, it's really clear that <clears throat> Abdi is. Abdi has a style of running at player and a, and a trick on the ball that reminds you of the young Cristiano Ronaldo. He he is he is not built the same way. He will not transfer into being a massive goal scorer. But in terms of somebody who makes things happen for what has been a very moribund, slow Barcelona side, Abdi stands out as maybe the guy who can carry the weight when Dembele is not fit or suspended and Dembele is coming back at the moment. Um, Elias too looks extraordinary. These are kids. These are everybody that we're talking about here is 17, 18 or 19. Pedri um, didn't spend time in La Masia, but you know, was on the Ballon d'Or list, won the golden boy, um, won the Spanish cup last season, made it to the semifinal of the European championships. You know, Pedri is, Literally, and I, I, I do mean this word, but he is a phenomenon. And Ansu Fati is the youngest player to score for Barcelona, the youngest player to score for Spain, the youngest player to score in the Champions League ever. And after coming back from a year out injured and, and, and brutal problems in an area of his, um, his, well, his meniscus, whereby it should have been one quick surgical procedure and, you know, maximum two, three months recuperation and back in the team. And he was out for a year. Think what that does to your mentality, to your confidence. And yet, as soon as he was back, he, he whipped in four goals, one or two of which were exceptional. He is an outright exceptional footballer. We haven't talked about Balde. We haven't talked about Xavi Simons, who's at Paris Saint-Germain, who's nicked away from the academy. Uh, we haven't talked about Elias Mariba, uh, who went away, I think, aged about, you know, 19 from uh, Barcelona to Leipzig. Um, it was a bad move on his part. It was a bad decision by him. Again, but he was, you know, in in my view, he was easily going to supersede Rodri at Manchester City a couple of years ahead of Rodri's age. He's that good. He's that special. And, and therefore, one way or another, just as happened when Louis van Gaal was in charge and things were going wrong at Barcelona in the senior level during, you know, from 99 through to 2002-03. Um, and Barcelona were in the middle of a six-year trophy drought. Six-year trophy drought. You know, that's how much worse things were on the pitch then than now. La Masia kept on churning out Victor Valles and Anderson Iesta and, and Xavi and eventually, you know, Piquet, Puyol before him. And, and these players came through at a time when the top of the system was wrong and mixed up and failing, but the moving parts underneath kept on ticking away like a metronome. And it's been that case this time too. And there are players dotted all over Europe who've gone away um, because they were tempted away young or, you know, money talked or they, they didn't believe in getting into the, into the first team. And, and they, they may have made mistakes because now is the time when Xavi will promote and will instantly go, if you're good enough, I don't care about your age. Now, you can't win everything with 11, 18-year-olds, and that's not Hansen saying. There has to be uh, different levels of physique. Araujo is another one, Ian. Araujo mm -hmm. um, at centre-back at centre is, is, is exceptional. Now, I'll put an addendum to you to my answer to your previous question. 
the sensible thing for teams to come in and do if they wanted to to raid Barcelona while they're weak. The two purchases to make would be Frankie de Jong, who's a good player, who's who's gone backwards at Barcelona, who, who's beyond a good player. He, he's exceptionally interesting. He's very talented, but he needs that development that he has he has not had under, particularly under Koeman. Um, much though they got on very well and, and Koeman's trust in De Jong was absolute as a footballer and as a man Frankie De Jong is, it needs to make the, the step up in terms of responsibility physique it needs to change but the talent is there and if you were to say to me Manchester City might fancy him I would say yes he's he's precisely their type of footballer and could they could they rip him away from Barcelona if the money was right yes they could uh, and, and there's enough resources in midfield for Barcelona to cope with that. Xavi wouldn't want it, but it's feasible. And Araujo could walk into most of the Premier League teams today, aged just 22, and could, could command a big fee that Barcelona would would need to then respend because he's their key defender at the moment. But he's another product of La Masia, and um, he's special. Fascinating in terms of Barcelona, uh, Graham, um, in terms of other uh, potential movements in and out of La Liga, uh, I suppose specifically with the Madrid clubs. Um, is there anything you see which is pending, uh, which you can see happening uh, in January uh, that we should be looking out for? Well, it depends if there's somebody who's still in love with Isco. Isco has, has changed his silhouette. He, he looks... You know, taught he, he's shared the the tendency that he's always had to crisp some beer and coke and put on a kilo that a guy of his size can handle. Top footballers can't really handle, and um, it's just just not getting a look in for Ancelotti at all. The midfield is is already busy in that um, Cruz and. Modric and Casemiro play every time they're fit. Um, Valverde is now back and and ready again. Camavinga has made an array of different types of impacts in that um, when he arrived at first, his, his assists and his goals made him look like somebody who at that young age was already ready. Then you, you saw his um, ability to read games and to 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 play the improvised football that Madrid believe in without making mistakes, that's where the development needs to come. But nonetheless, his entry into the last two games, which um, Madrid have squeaked through, 2-1 uh, against Sevilla, and then um, more recently, uh, he came on in the end of the 1-0 the winner of Athletic Bilbao, where where Madrid again squeaked through a game that they should have won comfortably. But he adds exactly what Isco doesn't have. He adds um, tackling, tracking, the ability to run beyond the player, which also Valverde has. And while Asensio is often played uh, wide right, coming onto his left in a front three for Ancelotti's Madrid, he wants to play midfield. And Ancelotti has indulged that a little bit. They've got a young kid called Blanco coming through, who's from the academy and is is extremely good. And I think that Isco's time at Madrid is, is long gone. And therefore, there's 
you know, a really obvious candidate that if Madrid could cash in on, they would. They would cash in on him for a couple of reasons. One, he's uh, he's occupying a place in the squad that really is giving the club no benefit whatsoever. Two, um, they are saving desperately because not only do they want to buy um, Mbappe in the summer, and I find it. I find it hard to believe that Mbappe renews at Paris Saint-Germain and doesn't come to Real Madrid. But, but then the transfer market is full of serpentine tricks. But they believe that they will be able to take Mbappe, which means an enormous wage outlay. But they want Haaland too. Now, I, I don't believe that they're going to be able to pull off that double deal. If they do... In theory, it should be absolutely extraordinary. Surely, Graham, if if any club in the world can, you know, create that kind of front line, as we've seen in the past, it's Real Madrid. Yeah, you, you definitely can say that in theory because they find the unusual ways to generate large sums of cash because people will back them with extra debt. Um, there's the allure the number of players who so re, most recently in Premier League terms Cristiano Ronaldo when he was asked to wait for his year by Alex Ferguson to stay one more year at Manchester United um, the, the then vice president of Barcelona Ferran Soriano came in and, and and wanted to pay Ronaldo more would pay United more and United were like well you know we don't care where he goes at the end of the season whether it's Real Madrid or you and Cristiano was like no I'm going to Madrid. It's Madrid for me. Bale was like when when um, Giggs phoned him to to say when you're leaving Spurs, come to United. You know, Giggs is Wales teammate, is, is Wales coach. <laughs> Bale's like, no, it's Madrid. The, the allure there is is There's Raheem Sterling's obsession too. So the allure factor is high. It's high for Mbappe. I I don't think it's necessarily high for Haaland. Haaland has the market at his feet. Um, Borussia Dortmund are trying unbelievable methods to generate enough um, financial security to persuade him to stay and, and who knows maybe they achieve it I don't think they do so Haaland has the world at his feet still more I think than, uh, well, he, has, than he, has a, he does obviously as well have the defined release clause which kicks in on May 31 so. yeah I, I saw Vatka arguing that that's not the case talking to shareholders that that's not the case it, it's, it's funny how this this release clause that you talk about that everybody takes as being not only there but having but, but the, it'll have gone down this year it's at the end of this season, pardon me. Bristol are now trying to undermine that concept. And I'll tell you honestly um, that I don't know if that clause exists or not. I know it is is taken as an absolute uh, golden rule that you, you, you get Haaland cheaper at the end of the season. But just Certainly really, Raiola has, has briefing clubs in Europe that that is the case. And you know, as we know... Um, will tell people what they want to hear. Uh, doesn't mean to say it's not true, though, in this case, and he's a very shrewd operator. You're right, and I, I'm, I'm aware of the debate. I just go back to the point that I don't know, and I'd be a liar if I said on the Window podcast that I do know. What I think is clear is that price is a, a, a secondary phase in this argument. Everybody around the world looks at Haaland and says, you know, Mbappe may be a prettier football. It may be sexier watching his style of football. Haaland is almost, almost unique. 
I don't remember in my lifetime seeing a player like him because there was a stage where Ronaldo Nazario scored goals at the same rate or at the same rate or better. I, I presume Gunnar Nordahl and Gunnar Gren and, and uh, Neil Sleetoma at Milan, if you look at the number of goals they were scoring, there may be a time when people were talking about those three Swedes at AC Milan and the way that we talk about Haaland. Fine. But if you look at Haaland's goals per game ratio at the age and then change it and, and, and talk about his, his physical prowess, where he, he literally scares defenders, which Ronaldo Nassario did, but for different reasons, not for the physical reason. They're, they're completely different physical specimens. Cristiano Ronaldo's goal record over his life, yeah, Haaland has still got a lot of reaching to do there. But was Cristiano Ronaldo scoring goals like this um, at this age? He, he, Cristiano Ronaldo, if I'm not, my, I'll be out by best, at best a game. I think he took 27 Champions League games to score a goal. Haaland's like Champions League having a laugh, yeah. Same goal average, no problem at all. And oh, no, he's mobile. Yeah. His percentage finishing rate is extraordinary. And therefore, you're right to say if there's a club that, you know, blah, 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 can unite the two of them, put a strike force where you've got Benzema as, a, as one of your strikers and Vinicius. All, all I'm saying is Florentino Perez has been saving his money for, for three or four transfer markets so that he could do Mbappe. And now he wants both. And, and that means that the, the queue of other clubs that will be saying, well, we're, we're better placed or we got on better with his thing of his father or we have more disposable money or um, uh, Erling, you'll fit better into our system. The, the queue of clubs saying this to Raiola and to Haaland is gigantic. But I suppose that if you're Real Madrid and if you can say to him, you'll be playing with Vinicius and you'll be playing with um, Cruz and you'll be playing with Casemiro and you'll be playing with Benzema and you'll be playing with Mbappe Haaland won't be worried about his starting place <laughs> that's for sure No, and you, you can imagine him saying I'm going, this, I'm going to make history in this club I'm going to make history with this team and we're going to win everything you, you can see that being attractive and right now I don't think that the debate about where Haaland goes next is about money because they can, he can command. It can, it can be, it can be, Graham, can it? Because let's face it, it has to be about aspiration. Yeah, his career so far has been guided by an agent who has effectively employed a strategic uh, career path, which has enabled. And to be fair to Mina Raiola, who is much maligned in many ways, um, his development uh, as a player by placing him at clubs where he can uh, play every game, he can exhibit his exceptional talent and physical skill. Yeah, Dortmund's been great for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's a staging post. You know, he could have gone anywhere last summer and he went to Dortmund. And the very fact that you're uttering the sentence uh, that Florentino Perez has been saving his money. <laughs> that's that's not a very Florentino thing uh, to be saving his money. Um, is is a, is a different level altogether. So his next move will be the stellar one that makes his almost. A, uh, he's a very young man, so it's, it's too early to say it makes his legacy, but it gives him the opportunity to begin his legacy with regards to what he wins in the way that Cristiano Ronaldo that's, that's uh, right and you can you can wherever so you well. choose to go you can write your cheque you know the, the money that you're commanding will be there'll be there might be you know 
pennies and shillings between the different wage offers and bonus offers. But the, the difference will be so minute that that doesn't matter. Wherever he goes now, the, the wealth that he accumulates over two, three, four years will be astronomical. Now, the key thing is making the decision in a way where he's going to give his best, perform at his best, develop, fit into a team system, play at a club where it's likely that the coach stays the same for you know a couple of years. It's not a coach every eight months where he's going to feel comfortable in terms of the language and, and the way in which the game is refereed and all these, you know, and the likelihood of Ballon d'Or, all these things need to come into the decision-making process. And it's probable that as, as long as the queue is, I would imagine there's probably only three or four clubs that can genuinely say we're properly in the race here. You know, this is because for my taste, he's not going to Italy. You know, no. Bayern Munich is, is an obvious option because they are a Real Madrid equivalent if you look at their history domestically and in European terms. They have a long history of nicking players from Borussia Dortmund. The language is fine. The league is fine. He could go there and believe I'm going to dominate Europe and Germany forever. Barcelona are not an option, much though so they've had him offered to him in the past, much though so they would covet him. They can't do the deal. They can't. And therefore, I think it's Bayern Munich, it's Real Madrid, it's it's Manchester City and and PSG seems to me to be unlikely. No, but, I, but I probably yeah. probably there's. I think there's your four. No, Chelsea, Manchester United. Manchester United. No, I think I, and Chelsea. They, they, they don't spend money on that scale anymore. I don't think. Um. But well, okay. So uh, we have reported recently in the Transfer Under podcast that uh, Thomas Tickle's patience. Uh, with Timo Werner is expiring rapidly and that uh, he is being subtly marketed um, in order that uh, they can bring in a replacement for him and play either with a two or a one-up, one-off with Romelu Lukaku. Um, Lukaku obviously has been very much missed with his um, six-week absence through injury. Um, they're considering um, a relatively short-term move for Robert Lewandowski, who obviously is a proven goal scorer as well, someone who is interested in making a move um, at the end of his career for Certainly the money, but also um, to have that different experience and win titles in a different country. So I think there is a, a sort of slight shaft of light in the door opening with regards to um, Lewandowski and Chelsea. However, Haaland, I think uh, his relationship with Ralph Ranjek through the Red Bull group is strong. Um, I think uh, also, and I have been told uh, by contacts, that Manchester City, of course, um, having failed in their bid to get Harry Kane, um, who is probably, probably the most similar in terms of style of play, physicality, uh, the manner in which he can score goals uh, outside, inside the box, left foot, right foot, head. Haaland has all those capabilities as well would be an obvious um, alternative to Kane with regards to recruitment. And of course, City have the um, resources 
that are required. It's, it's a five. It's a five. It's a five club list. You know, we're talking Bayern Munich, uh, Real Madrid, Manchester City, maybe Paris Saint Germain, and OK Chelsea. So it's a five club list. That means that the the, the battle is tight. You do create an option, but Haaland must be in right now. Um, sitting down and looking at what's the best option for me in terms of, not in terms of the money, but in terms of the fit. Whether he thinks that, I mean, what is he? He's 21. So whether he thinks that he can afford to do another year or two at Dortmund as they're trying to persuade him, that would surprise me a lot. I don't believe that he stays. And if he doesn't, then we're talking about a five-club list. I agree, Graham. This is this is this is the point that that I I think is the most salient one, which is that until now his career has been guided by his father and by Minoriola in terms of his development, but also in terms of keeping it under the radar effectively by not promoting him directly into an elite European club. But his next move is the one where. He needs to prove himself at that level and win Champions League, win titles in elite leagues, etc. And that's what's going to be different next summer with regards to Haaland's move. I think when you've scored 21 goals and 16 starts in the Champions League and 50 goals in 44 starts in the Bundesliga, and a team which is powerful but without him got knocked out of the Champions League group stage, then what we're saying is that with service in an elite team, the goal numbers and the way, and, and he's pretty reliable about what quality he scores against. So in other words, I don't think that in any way he's a flat track bully. I think that um, the fact that he scored four and five against by a minute, for example, the number one rival that he can tilt at in German terms tells you that we and, and your cane comparison I understood but when you look at Haaland one of the fearful things about him is and I saw it um, at Seville uh, home against Dortmund when Dortmund let him drop deep and pick up the ball in midfield and then run at players and it's it's frightening it's, it's, it's not just his size his pace is good and what stands out for me because the stats everybody can look up if you watch him I think he's better off his left foot in terms of finishing. But whether it's um, header, right foot, left foot, the fact is that his his shots to on target ratio, very high. But he's got something that Jimmy Greaves had, that, that Messi has, Ansu has, about um, delivering the, the effort on target at such speed with such little back lift that, that keepers find it very difficult to anticipate. And also he finds areas of the goals. It doesn't, not every goal has to be ultra spectacular. He finds area of the goals where he somehow innately seems to have judged that the, the goalkeeper's balance is going to buy him a split second extra. So he puts the ball into, into the worst possible area for goalkeepers, which is an, an extraordinary habit to have. But when you ally that to his pace and power, he, I, 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 I mean, correct me. You know, I'm, I'm prone to forgetting, you know, periods of, of the football that I've watched across my life. But I don't remember a player like this. You can make slight comparisons with Ronaldo Nazario, but I, I genuinely do not remember a player that combines all these assets and, and, and to be doing so at this age 
I genuinely think we're, we're talking about somebody who should go on to prove one of the, you know, the post-war post-war phenomena in terms of achievements, goals, and, and having and, and being near. To, it's difficult to call players unique in football because there's so many countries play. We've all watched for so many years. There are similarities between certain great players. Holland potentially is. is I mean. Christian Berry, you know, there's an element of, of him at his best there, but he, he was never as outright prolific as Haaland. Every time you make a comparison, for my taste, you can say, yeah, but Haaland does this or that or the next thing. I find other players aesthetically more pleasing to watch, but you, you don't win three points for aesthetic pleasure and you don't you don't get <laughs> trophies for, oh, well, aesthetically, he was very good in that 4-3 that defeat. So Haaland is, is utterly different gravy. I have to say that um, when you said the phrase, he shares something in common with Jimmy Greaves, I thought you were going to say he's got a lunchtime Saturday football show with Ian St. John, uh, which was a little bit scary, but also... Golden yeah, days in the past. Indeed. The, greats, the, the greats, idea. Two greats that we miss. We miss the idea. The idea of it being the case would have been fantastic. Uh, with, uh, you kill uh, me, Erling. Indeed. Indeed. With uh, the Saint going with his wonderful throaty laugh every time uh, Gruzy made a joke. Uh, and on that uh, note, we will end today's Transfer Window podcast. Uh, Graham, we are very grateful for your, um, as usual, um, nice fantastic insight uh, into what's happening in the Liga and Spain in general, as well as, of course, the future of uh Haaland uh, in regard to where he might end up because that of course is going to be probably the biggest uh, summer uh, if not January where is unlikely transfer saga which will indeed um, progress and uh, it will be something that we'll be talking about in the future Uh it just leads me to um, say thank you uh, for joining us and also uh, thank you to our listeners. Uh, please engage with us on our social media channels, which of course are at Transfer Podcast on Instagram, on Facebook and on Twitter. Graham is at Bumper Graham. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Garbo SJ. You can find us on YouTube as well which of course just search Transfer Window Podcast and you'll get us there. Until next week when uh, we will return with uh, all, of course, of the news before it becomes news. Uh, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.